Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Welcome back, everyone. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. Welcome back for another exciting show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a good ride with these shows, and we've, we've been talking a lot of economics and how economics apply to today's market, today's environment, and we've looked at how it applies to some of the political talk that we see today and some of the political activity. So today we're going to talk about uh, prices bring the choice of buyers and sellers into balance. So we have back on the show Joe Calhoun, professor of economics at Florida State University. Welcome back, Joe. Thanks. It's great to be back. Always enjoy our time together, Charles. All right, Professor Joe, as I like to call you. So, uh, yeah, check us out on um, podcast. We got a website, answersthatcount.com. So we've got some cool articles out there. We've even got some articles about the shows we've done with Professor Joe. So we talk economics and put some charts and graphs out there to kind of make it interesting. So uh, check that out. And let's uh, let's talk about the book to get started. So this is the, the book. I'm going to hold that up. This is the book that we're talking about. And Joe Calhoun is one of the co-authors on this book. So Professor Joe, just uh, like we've done in the other shows, give us a little intro to what this book is about and how exciting it is even though it's economics it's still exciting oh absolutely i think uh, of course i'm very biased here but i think economics is the most interesting important topic on the planet so uh always love talking about it appreciate you giving me a forum to do that so the author or excuse me the, the book is what we call a primer and that means we're just trying to get the wheels turning here we're trying to get some people to uh know just the basics uh, it's not meant to go into great detail it's not meant to provide a bunch of really sophisticated theory it's just trying to get the the pump priming on people's thought process getting them exposed to these ideas in, in maybe ways that they they either never have or maybe have only seen a little bit so we're just trying to get the conversation started and then if you're interested there's all kinds of other books that go into way more detail and get into advanced theories but we're just trying to get things going here so my good friends uh jim gortney tawny farini dwight lee and rick stroop uh, teamed up on an earlier version, and uh, they wanted to make some changes. We call it the third edition, so they thought I might have a few things to contribute. So they brought me on board, and uh, we've just had a lot of fun getting the book out there and getting students to read it around the country and using it in the classroom. So it's been a really great project for us. Yeah, it's been very good. And you, I think you said last week that y'all are looking at doing a – an edition four. This is edition three. So are y'all looking yes, at a fourth? third edition? Uh, came out in 2016, and because it's used as an official textbook in some classrooms, uh, the general rule with a, a book in a classroom is a teacher doesn't like the book to be more than five years old. So we're coming up on that five-year anniversary, and uh, we're thinking about doing a fourth edition of the book. Uh, it wouldn't be anything hugely different, but, you know, there's always some improvement. There's always some updates, especially with uh, recent uh, macroeconomic policy and, of course, the pandemic that we're going through and the economic consequences there. Uh, so we always have some new things to talk about. So uh, we're thinking very seriously about uh, doing a new edition and, and how we can make the book even better than what it is right now. 
Good. It's uh, one thing that you mentioned there was the pandemic, and this is, we are September the the fourth, and today yeah. is Friday when we're doing this recording. And the first Friday, typically the first Friday of every month, we get the NFP report, which is a non-farm payroll. So that's a big economic report that we got out this morning, and I'm sure you you saw that we had I think an addition of a 1.4 million jobs, which I believe was pretty much as expected so not below not above but that's better than what the adp report that came out on wednesday where the the uh, added jobs were lower than what expectation was so that was good to see those nfp jobs come out like they did yeah yeah the general rule of thumb from the federal government is the first friday of every month is when the official unemployment numbers come out now if that friday happened to be like the very first day of the month then they would push it back a week just so they can have more time to collect that information uh but yeah first first friday is a highly anticipated date that's a very important number for anybody who's interested in economics so uh it's good that you're following that absolutely i i saw the um Actually, I I was doing some work and I saw the market open, but I don't know how the market reacted to that. I did see where the the unemployment number was was went down to eight point three. So good to see it go below ten. And uh, yeah, there's something really psychological, meaningful when we get into single digits. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's just like when you go to the store and you see nine ninety nine. That just feels a whole lot different than ten dollars. You know, it's just something about adding that extra digit in there, and it's the same thing with unemployment. You know, people just feel a whole lot better about something with one number before the decimal point as opposed to two numbers before that decimal point. So, just just from a, 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 a psychological point of view. Uh, that number was was really good, and then the fact that it did come down from previous months is, is also really important. Yeah, that that's good, and it's good that we're. Uh, it looks like we're we're sticking our head up out of the water on this on this recession and coming out of the pandemic. And you know, when you consider some of the larger states that are still in a pretty much full lockdown, uh, like New York, and I think California still have a has a pretty big lockdown. So some of the larger states are still in lockdown so if you if you think about it that is uh when we get those things back when we get those states back open that'll really be another boost to the economy and hopefully those nfp numbers will improve even better yeah yeah and the the state level unemployment always lags the federal so roughly three or four weeks after the the uh, federal number comes out the government will re- uh, report the state level data uh, so there's always a lag there. We have to be a little bit more patient with that data. But you're absolutely right. It's important to get the big states like California, Florida, uh, Texas, and, and the other uh, heavily industrialized states back on their feed and jobs uh, at full capacity as quickly as possible. So we're going to anticipate those numbers greatly. Yeah, and I, I was reading a, a report, uh, part part of a report this morning about some of the the uh in economics some of the industries that have been impacted and it's it's just what you would think it's the it's the entertainment industry it's the it's the restaurant it's the hospitality industry uh some of the surprisingly some of the markets that have done well are your your real estate markets uh the home buy home buying market that's done well the the that market is really yeah. I, I've up. heard uh, various people talk about. I, I've got a couple of friends who are, are out searching for homes right now, and I've got another friend who's trying to sell his home. 
and uh, a couple other friends that are realtors, and, and they're telling me things are quite robust right now, that uh, there, there's a lot of activity in the home market. So that has uh, very thankfully seemed to not be dramatically negatively impacted by the pandemic. People are still moving. They're still buying and selling. Uh, and that market is, is, I wouldn't say unaffected, that's too extreme, but it hasn't been affected as negatively as many others. And, and that's good news because a lot of Americans have their wealth tied in their homes, and we certainly don't want any of that wealth destroyed like we saw back in 2008. That was really devastating. Yeah, that that really hit home, pun intended, to for a lot of people when, when that happened. But, you know, this is this is very anecdotal, but the uh you you see markets like florida and you've seen that reported where the real estate market in florida is doing really well and uh, over in northwest florida the the real estate market is booming and it you know it, it this is anecdotal but it, it looks like there's people that are moving from some of the larger cities into the the places like northwest florida or some of the the uh, the rural areas so it it's very interesting to see uh, how this pandemic has affected that market. You know, when we say that it hasn't been affected, well, uh, maybe it has been. Maybe that's what's caused some of the surge in the real estate boom in some of the different areas. I mean, you see a lot of reports on people uh, fleeing New York City. They're trying to get out of New York City for many reasons. The the economy, the the civil unrest, the violence. So people are moving out of places like that, and they're moving to to uh, places, you know, a lot of this where they don't have to work in a in an office building where they can work remote, that gives them the flexibility to really work from anywhere. Yes, yes. And that will be one positive side effect of, of this pandemic is uh, as businesses and people have to reshuffle and restructure the way they do things, sometimes they're going to realize, wow, this is actually a whole lot better and this is more productive and better for my employees. They don't have to spend time commuting. They don't have to spend gas money. They can just wake up, roll out of bed and get working right away and still get the job done in a very effective manner and sometimes maybe even a more effective manner. Yeah, absolutely. If you think, I mean, this is really, really strange and off topic of what we're going to discuss, but the the commute you meant, mentioned people are more effective if you just meant if you just think about the the commuting time that people spend even a conservative 30 minute travel to and from a day that's an that, that may not sound like a lot but that's that's at least an hour a day that you have back into your schedule so how do you use that yeah. is do you use it for more productive use do you have it for more personal time uh you probably wouldn't you probably wouldn't pick time to have windshield time if if you had free time so that's an added benefit to it also. Now, I'm not ignoring that the fact that there probably are some downside to that as well, but that is a, that is an upside and that is a, a potential more uh, effective use of your time during the day. Yeah, yeah. And actually, just this morning, I, I had a, a Zoom meeting and uh, one of my uh, participants had to leave because he had to jump over to a different Zoom meeting. We we're kind of teasing him about his commuting time. <laughs> you know, the commute time between Zoom calls right. is only a few seconds. You know, you end one and you click start and you jump over to the other one. Where, you know, if we were in, a, in an office setting or if we were on campus, you know, you'd have to allocate a little bit more time to leave one meeting, walk to the other place, get get started so you know there are benefits you're right we, we can't completely ignore the costs uh, but but we do need to celebrate and appreciate those benefits that we're capturing here yeah it's always good to look on the positive side of things and uh recognize that there are some some downside to that there's there's a benefit to be able to have 
human interaction where you see people and and you can uh they're there in the office with you so that is a downside that we lose that but let's don't just focus yeah. on the downside let's look at some of the upside benefits yeah of it as well. yeah let's let's try and look at the bright side of things let's let's try and and put our best foot forward and and have the best attitude that we can that's what i'm telling my colleagues that's what i'm telling my students uh you know it's not going to do any good we're not going to move forward by sitting around and complaining all day absolutely all right, Joe, I have delayed this and kind of we've talked about some, I think, some important and some very current topics uh, that are affecting everybody today. So I don't want to minimize the effect of what we talked about to begin with. But let's jump on to the subject of today. Prices. Get us started, prices. There, Professor Joe. Prices. So what I want you to think about in kind of an analogy just to help people start to put their brains around this, we, we take the price system for granted. And it's really, really important, and it conveys a lot of information. Uh, prices are not just numbers and not just formulas in a, at a cashier that tell us uh, what the final bill is. Uh, the, the price system is an allocation method. It's a way of conveying information. So for a moment, I want you to think about operating a, a motor vehicle or your lawnmower or anything that's got an engine in there without any oil. That will not and run very long. Everybody knows that's not going to go well, and you're not going to be able to operate that car, that machine, for very long without it breaking down. It's going to start smoking, and it's just simply going to break if there's not a, a adequate lubrication in there. And the price system, in some respects, can be thought of in that regard. Uh, imagine going to the store, and there were no numbers on the shelf. There were no prices. How would you begin to make decisions about what to buy and how much of it to buy? That'd and also think about every time that you went up to the cashier, you had to spend time negotiating. So let's just imagine that instead of the public's cashier just scanning items, the public's cashier was an auctioneer. All right, well, you know, how much? What are you going to start the bidding at? Can you imagine how long it would take to get out of the grocery store if you had to make decisions with without a price, if you had to negotiate every little thing? I mean, if you think the lines are long and take a lot of time now, oh, my gosh, it would take you hours. Can you imagine waiting behind three people and they had to negotiate every price for a whole buggy full of groceries that would I mean, be terrible like, that would take forever yeah so the prices work the same way so when you go into the store and you see something for a dollar and you see something else for two dollars obviously that math is really easy but much beyond the math what that tells you is that item for two dollars is twice as expensive you're going to have to pull out twice as much money as you did for the other item and it helps you allocate your resources. You may say, you know what, I'd really like that $2 item, but I don't really want to spend $2. I'd rather only spend $1 to get a similar item. So it helps you allocate your resources. It helps you allocate your time. It helps you decide what to buy, when to buy it. The producer is also conveying important information. Now, it doesn't always work out this way, but generally we can think about the $2 item is probably going to have much different characteristics than the $1 item. It's probably going to be a higher quality. It's going to have some, some different attributes to it. And that $2 is going to help you obtain that information so that you don't have to, you know, read the ingredients. You don't have to read the specifications. You know, if you're looking at two different TVs and, and one is $200 and another one's $500, 
it's a very logical assumption to think that the $500 TV is better. Right. It's got more things in there because it's $500, not $200. Right. And, you know, we don't like to use the words cheap, but, you know, everybody knows what, what, what we mean. I mean, really, the, the better term is less expensive or a lower price. But, you know, we do know that, you know, lower prices do have certain uh, connotations. You know, they maybe are not just less expensive. Sometimes they are cheap. Maybe the quality is really poor. Uh, but that is all conveyed in that price. And mm-hmm. it's really important that we recognize that that's what the price system does. It, it's an allocation method. It's an information. It's almost like a language all to itself. We can use numbers to substitute for a lot of words that help us make these economic decisions. I like that. And that is, uh, I appreciate you putting the emphasis on numbers. That is, uh, I'm an I'm a numbers guy, so yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's another important uh, value of of numbers. Sure, I mean it, it also gives us a method of accounting as well. So something near and dear to your heart. Uh, it's not just methods; it's a way of organizing. It's a way of structuring ourselves so that uh, I know that I have to put in my ledger, or if I'm going to let my mobile app do it, you know how much went into my checking account and how much went out of it. So there is a, a, a very important mathematical structure that prices convey. Uh, we know how much we're going to spend. We know how much we're going to earn, and that's expressed in, in numbers and in formulas. So there's just lots and lots that's compacted into this price system, and we need to make sure that we don't distort it So because when you distort it, then you start making poor decisions. And we certainly don't want to make poor decisions. We want to make wise decisions. So Better. the more accurate those numbers are, the more that we allow those numbers to tell us, then we get the decision-making that we like. The better the decision, the better off we are. So usually that if we have better information, then we make a better decision. Yeah, absolutely. So, and now we're never going to have perfect information. You're never going to be... Uh, so full of knowledge that you know everything, but we certainly want to know more versus less. Right. So um, I was reading the chapter and I saw these familiar terms of supply and demand. And there's a yeah, supply and demand. So really, what supply and demand are trying to do is help us understand decision making by two market participants. So any market has to have two participants. You have to have a willing buyer and a willing seller. If you only have one of those, you don't have a market. Right. And I remind my students of that all the time. Don't just think that, hey, I'm a buyer, therefore I'm in a market. No, you're just a buyer. you you got to have another, the other side. So we have to have supply and demand. So what demand allows us to do is either through a mathematical formula or a picture or a whole bunch of words, a demand is trying to help us understand the decision-making of the buyer, somebody who demands, who wants that particular item. So we can just think about, you know, the the market for sweet tea. Okay, we got people who would like to drink sweet tea. Those are the demanders. We want to know how do they make decisions. So the law of demand is going to help us understand that. And on the other side, you've got people who are willing to supply, who are willing to offer for sale the sweet tea. So we want to understand how do they make decisions, what's important for them, and when certain dynamic elements of the economy change, like price or other non-price factors, 
how are those demanders and suppliers going to respond? And what we know from historical evidence is uh, derives from the law of demand. The law of demand says if price goes down, people will buy more, and if price goes up, people will buy less. Now, that's very intuitive, but th there's a, a whole lot more beyond that. Let, let's skip over that for now. Let's just grab onto the intuitive part of it. And then on the other side, the law of supply tells us that as price goes up, the producer is willing to offer more for sale. Right. And when the price goes down, the producer is willing to offer less. Right. And then just imagine, you know, a typical auctioneer, you kind of throw out a price, you see how people react, and then that price gets pushed up or pushed down depending on the market participants and how they value that product. If you start with really high, it will get pushed down. If you start really low, it'll get pushed up. So what I always like to stress to my students and other people who are listening, talking to me about markets, the really important thing is that a market is a process. It's over time as these market participants interact that we actually settle on a price. It's called equilibrium or market clearing. But at any given time, those market participants change their mind and that price moves up or down. But it's that process over time that really captures what a market is, not just a moment in time. That's a good way to look at it. You know, I often get the, with the business that I'm in, I often help clients uh, sell their business or either buy a business. And the question always comes up, what is the value of that business or what's the right price to pay for that business? And and with many of the businesses and clients we deal with, there's not a, they're not sold on the on the New York Stock Exchange, so there's not a readily available yeah. market price that you can determine. You can't go to the Wall Street Journal, open it up, and see a price there. So, the uh, what I try to tell clients, whether they're buying or selling, and it goes back to what you said that there's two participants: there's a buyer and there's a seller. And to, to determine that price, there's an agreement between those two parties, and the the fair price on that is. What is someone willing to pay for it, and what is that buyer willing to sell for it? That That is the determination of what that fair price is at that point in time. Yeah, and you stated that so well, and, and, and this is sometimes missed in the conversation as well. Willingness to buy and willingness to sell. Willingness is going to be a little bit different than the actual. Right. You might be w willing to buy something for 10 but if you go in the store and the price is eight, okay, you actually you get it for eight. Then right. you know nobody's going to go up to the cashier and say, you know, I I really was willing to pay ten. Huh. The price is eight, so here's ten dollars and and you keep it. No, we're going to take the eight dollars right. with a smile on my face. <laughs> um, but it, willingness to do it, and this is where price is sometimes very subjective as well where you may look at an item or a business and you may have one willingness to buy and I'm going to look at it and say, no, I'm going to have a different willingness. So sometimes we may not agree. We're both buyers, but yet we have different values. Uh, we have different characteristics, different desires. So our willingness and as these market participants interact, that's how they eventually settle on a price. So exactly. if we could role play for a moment, if you're a buyer and I'm a seller, you know, we're going to have a little bit of back and forth. We're going to negotiate until we find something that we can both agree on. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we agree to disagree and we say, you know what, we just don't have a close enough meeting of the mind here. 
your willingness and my willingness are too far away, so therefore we're just not going to be able to enter into a deal. And you see that with with the real estate market all the time, right? You know, I might be selling my home for a hundred thousand dollars, and you may say, you know what, I'm really only willing to pay ninety, and I say, you know what, I'm not willing to go below a hundred, so we just agree to part ways. And I wait for somebody else more like-minded to come along. Yeah, I think so that, I don't want to give the impression that this always is going to find find a solution. You know, sometimes we just walk away and say, you know what, uh, we, we can't here, and we just move on to the to the next market process. Yeah, I think the real estate is that is um, that's a process most people are familiar with, and it's easier to relate to as well. So that you know, there's a lot of. Uh, people that shop for homes and they they may even make a contract on it but they don't end up closing because somebody else comes in with a better price that they want to buy it or th- they just the seller never meets their their willingness number so uh, yeah, i think that's yeah. a, that's and, a very and, good and one. for people who maybe don't have any experience in the the housing market uh you know the other market that is open to much negotiation is the labor market yep so if, if you're the employer and i'm the employee you know, you may advertise a specific salary or an hourly wage, and then I walk in and we get to know each other a little bit, and and maybe that changes a little bit. Uh, so I say, you know what? I, I saw that you were offering X amount. Uh, you know, I think I'm worth a little bit more than that, and then we start the negotiation. That's that's a very important market, uh, the labor market. That's how we all earn our income. And you think about it, that is also subject to a lot of negotiation. Again, it's just back and forth. The only thing we need to remember is that in the labor market, the employee is the supplier and the employer is the demander because they demand the job to get done. Uh, but the basic principles work the same. It's the interaction, law, demand, law, supply still apply, but it's just a, a little different in the labor market because we think about the consumer being the demander and here the employee is actually the supplier of labor services and the employer is the demander of labor services. But yeah. everything else works the same. Yeah, I like how you, you really put that in terms of what we see on an everyday basis. So we've got a business being bought and sold. We've got real estate being bought and sold. And then what most people can relate to is their own time that they're, bu- that they're buying or selling. So if, yeah. they're, if they're selling their time, that's their inventory. That's, what, that's the good that they have to sell. And the the employer is the buyer in that case, and they're gonna they're gonna put a value on that and a willingness that they they will pay for your time. Yeah, yeah. The most important asset that each one of us has is ourselves. Right. Our our time, our effort, our physical abilities, our mental and emotional abilities, and quite frankly, when we go into the labor market, we offer those for sale. We say, "I'm willing." to give that of myself. I'm willing to give my time, my talent, my energy, and hopefully you have a willing uh, buyer, an employer, who says, yes, I see the value. Let's make an exchange. You come to work. I'll pay you at the end of the pay period. And that's what the labor market is. Good. I like that. And, Joe, I know you've got a lot more to talk about on this, but we've got about a minute to wrap up this subject on price. So give us... uh, Give us the final thoughts that we have not covered thus far. I know there's a cool chart in here. I think the chart's pretty neat, but that may not be what you want to spend your time describing. Yeah, the graph is just a a way to uh, say something in pictures that would take much longer to do in words. So a a graph is just a a, a convenient tool so that we can talk a little bit faster and, and, uh, you know, that, that old... 
saying pictures worth a thousand words. So what I can do in a picture, uh, I can just do faster than I can uh, with a whole bunch of words. So it's just a way to communicate a little bit faster. Um, but I, I think, you know, if everybody can just recognize the importance of the price system as an exchange of information, much more than just numbers out there on uh, store shelves, then I think we can appreciate it and, and hopefully use it to our advantage. And that's really what I want people to know about the price system. Very good, Joe. I appreciate it. And bodies here are always uh, a great time that I've got where we can uh, have a, a real informal discussion about what's going on in the economy, uh, talk about economics, and look at a theory that's in the book that you have written or co-authored. And that's always uh, a good time for me. It provides some good information for the audience as well. So Thank you for taking your time on Friday. We'll do it again next week, and we'll pick up on number seven of the theory. So uh, a lot of stuff in here. We're still on the first few pages of this book. So, Yeah, we got a lot of great stuff to cover, so I, I hope everybody comes back for more. I'm sure they will. And Professor Joe, have a great weekend, and uh, keep the economy rolling, brother. I'll do what I can. Thanks. All right. Thank you for joining us on another great episode of Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Check us out on all your popular podcast channels. We're on YouTube. We're at AnswersThatCount.com. Leave me a note. Let me know what you'd like to talk about on the show. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, also, we've got a Facebook page up at Answers That Count. So check us out there. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. See you next week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit AnswersThatCount.com.